Pastor Saxton Odom here, so thankful that you have decided to join in to Wine on the Church of God's podcast today. We pray that this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and draws you closer to God. God bless you today is our prayer as you listen. where I want you to turn with me in your Bible today, where we're going to be at in the Scripture. And as you turn there, if you'll stand as you get there for the reading of the Word, it's the fourth gospel in the New Testament, right after Luke, chapter 4, 20 through 24. Very well-known story today, preached by a lot of wonderful preachers, taught in a lot of wonderful Sunday school lessons, a lot you can glean from this lesson But today, I believe the Lord has placed a message today on worshiping from the well. Everybody say, worship from the well. Amen. John chapter chapter 4, 20 through 24. It reads, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is. Somebody shout, now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. And today I want to talk to you on worship from the well. Can we pray together today? Will you lift your hands to heaven and let's just ask for God's anointing in this place. Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning for each and every person who has come today to worship you, gathered together in one heart and one mind and one accord in this place, Lord, as brothers and sisters, as family from many different places, God, many different parts of this area, many different backgrounds of life. You've gathered us together on this day, October 31st. Lord, to some it's counted as Halloween. To us, this is the Lord's day. Hallelujah. To us, it's a day to celebrate your goodness. And Lord, we pray that in this day that you would grant us your anointing to preach and teach your word with clarity and understanding, authority and power. Lord, I pray you'd grant anointing to the hearer and let them receive it into their hearts and let their lives be changed. Let us worship from the well of living water you've placed within us, Lord. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. You can be seated today. In the house of the Lord. So good to see my sister over here. I saw her slip in a while ago. Good to have her with us today in the house. Amen. The Bible starts out this chapter, uh, kind of lengthy, this story of the Bible telling in John chapter 4, verse number 1, uh, going on to verse number 3, Jesus said that I must needs go through Samaria. There was something very important that Jesus decided and felt compelled to do. And he said, I must needs go through Samaria. Now that's important to understand going through this sermon today because we need to understand that Jesus goes to people that we want go to. 
that we don't want to go to, Jesus goes to these people. And wearied with His journey on the way of going to Samaria, instead of going around it, Jesus goes to it. And weary on His journey of going into Samaria, the Bible says that there in the city, He finds a well, specifically Jacob's well. Now Jacob's well is a very interesting place, and just for a moment, I want to give you some history on Jacob's well and the backstory that will lead into where we're going today. Number one, I want us to understand that Jesus Jesus always picks the right place. Hallelujah. He always picks the right place of, of encounter in our lives. This well was bought by Jacob for a hundred pieces of silver in Genesis chapter 33 after he had been reconciled and restored to his brother Esau. So if you know the story of Jacob and Esau, you know that Jacob was a trickster and he tricked his, his father for the blessing his older brother should have gotten and there's established kind of a, a brotherly um, rivalry between them and they got mad and they became enemies and Esau told him he was going to kill him and Jacob fled at the instruction of his mother and we know that he went and God encountered him at Bethel. He saw angels descending and ascending on the ladder of heaven. We know he went on to his uncle's Laban's house and where he worked for 14 years, seven for Leah and another seven for Rachel and he finally left to go back home and on his way back home he was nervous about encountering his brother Esau again but he knew it was the Lord's plan to restore him and his brothers. See, God wants our families restored, amen. God doesn't want any trouble in any family. He wants to restore our families. The same thing with his faith family. He wants the church to be restored as one big family. And on the way to restoration, he's nervous. He's scared of what Esau might do. But glory to God, Esau embraces him and two brothers that were enemies become friends and become brothers again. It's a beautiful story. And Jacob, in memorial to this event, buys this well for a hundred pieces of silver, erects an altar there, and builds a well, and calls the name of it El Elohi Israel, which means God, the God of Israel. This place became known as a place of reconciliation and restoration. But unfortunately, this beautiful story quickly changes into a terrible story because the Bible tells us that Jacob and his family began to live here. And in Genesis, it tells us his daughter, Dinah, begins to catch the eye of the prince of the area named Shechem. And Shechem begins to want to marry Dinah, but Dinah does not want to marry Shechem. And Jacob has not given her away to marry Shechem yet. And so so what happens, the Bible tells us, is that Shechem rapes and defiles Dinah. And this beautiful place of reconciliation and restoration immediately becomes a place of terrible tragedy. And in the midst of this terrible tragedy, the two brothers of Dinah, Levi and Simeon, send word that they're on their way to Shechem's house and they're going to murder them. They plead with them, don't do it. If, if, if uh, you don't come murder us, we'll make a covenant with you, and I won't go into that. You can go read your, that passage of Scripture and your Bible for some homework and uh, find out what the Lord did in that time and how they said they would go into covenant with Levi and Simeon. But the end of the matter was Levi and Simeon agreed initially that if you do this and go into covenant with us, everything will be okay. But anger birthed back in their heart is what the Bible says, and they decided to break their covenant with Shechem and as they were licking their wounds, so to speak, Levi and Simeon came back in and they killed every single one of them, murdered them. 
killed them. So this place of reconciliation and restoration becomes a place of defilement. It becomes a place of betrayal. It becomes a place of revenge. It becomes a place of murder. It becomes a place of deceit. And so there is a rift that is created here at this place known as Jacob's well. And on his death, Jacob gives the piece of property to his son Joseph. And on Joseph's death, Joseph gives his piece of property to one of his two sons, Manasseh. And the Bible tells us that it continues on in the history of the Israelites. And in Joshua chapter 24, we find Jacob's well again because before Joshua dies, it is here at Jacob's well that Joshua stands up and instructs the people to recommit themselves to God and to renew their devotion to the Lord. It is here at Jacob's well that Joshua stands up and says, what what gods will you serve? Whether the gods of your fathers, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There's a lot of history at this place called Jacob's well. They then bury the bones of Joseph, the bones of the favored man here at Jacob's well. And continuing throughout the Old Testament, a lot of history happens at this place. We find that the Babylonians come in and take the Israelites captive. And the Israelites, some of them begin to marry the Assyrians, the Babylonians, then they form a mixed race called the Samaritans. And when they formed this mixed race called the Samaritans, the Jews so created animosity and prejudice in their heart that they separated themselves from the Samaritans. You see, we're not the first ones to go through racial trouble in America. When you look in your Bible, you find racism and prejudice and rifts being created from Genesis on into Revelation. Why? Because the enemy's job is to divide, conquer, and destroy. Amen? No matter the people group, no matter the color of their skin, no matter what they're known as. And here he comes in and he creates a rift between the Samaritans and he creates a rift between the Jews. And they became this half-breed race, an impure mix of Judaism and outside religious customs. And so after they were snubbed by the Jews, the Samaritans built their own temple. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) The Samaritans built their own temple on the other side of town, and the Jews built their temple on the other side of town. Am I talking to anybody today? We got whites on one side of town, and we got blacks on another side of town. We've got a rift that is still created in our society. And we've got people that don't want to talk about these things. We've got people that don't want to confront these subjects. But you know what Jesus does? Jesus busts right up in the middle of this confrontation. And he finds this well that has so much history surrounded around it. And so much negativity. And so much horrible and tragedy surrounded around it. You know what Jesus does? He's not scared of all of it. He props himself up on the well readying himself for an encounter. Can I tell you, my brothers and sisters, Jesus is not scared of this mess that is going on in America. Jesus is not scared of the virus. Jesus isn't scared of our political society. Jesus isn't scared of all this racial mess that's going on and being pervaded. Jesus wants to prop himself up on it and encounter you and me once again. He wants to show us his word and show us his truth in the middle of all this just as he does to this woman at Samaria. Everybody was happy. Samaritans on one side of town, Jews on the other side of town, until, somebody say until, until Jesus showed up. You know, I've learned that everybody is happy doing their own thing, Brother Roger, until Jesus shows up. 
myself included. When Jesus comes in, He has a way of reorganizing, of turning our lives upside down. And so Jesus comes into this town and the Bible says that He's wearied from His journey, probably not only physically, but spiritually as well. He's recounting all of this history as the author and finisher, as Alpha and Omega. He remembers all of these things that has gone on throughout thousands of years here at this place of Jacob's well. And so He's weary, not only in the body, but He's weary in the spirit, recalling all the good, the bad, and the ugly of this location. And he sits down here at this well, and the Bible says that a woman comes at the sixth hour, which we know their day started at 6 a.m., so 6 plus 6 is noon, 12 noon. This woman comes at the heat of the day at 12 noon to receive water. I'll come back to this in just a moment. But before the Bible wants us to know her name is Helen, or before the Bible wants us to know her name is Joyce, or her name is Jennifer, the Bible tells us simply that she is a Samaritan woman. Because it's very important to understand that Jesus goes to people we tend to avoid. Jesus goes to those that we tend to look around. As I preached last week, as we see homeless people sometimes, we try not to look at them and our eyes meet their eyes because we know that they're wanting money. Jesus goes to those people. He goes to the Samaritans. And aren't you thankful that we have a Savior like that? Because that means He meant to. He went to me and you. Hallelujah. People that others would avoid because of your sin or others would avoid because of your family or others would avoid because of your history. But Jesus didn't avoid you. He came to your way. Hallelujah. And he propped himself up there and he begins to tell you the story of what he wants to do in your life. Here Jesus sets up at the well and I want to talk to you about four things real briefly. If you're taking notes, write these four down. The well, the water, the word, and the worship. The well, the water, the word, and the worship. Number one, the well. Both in this story, Jesus and the Samaritan woman had a commonality of thirst. Wells were needed regardless of socioeconomic statuses, regardless of whatever place of life you were in, the well was needed. And the wells controlled the lifestyle of the people. Towns were built around sources of water or wells. The wells would quite often be in the center of town because everybody needs what to live? Water. All of us need water to survive. Women, men, children, intellectuals, illiterates, prince, pauper, shepherd, sheep, good, evil, black, white, yellow, green, purple. Everybody needs water to survive. And so no matter who you were, no matter where you were from, no matter how much money you had, you had to come to the well or you had to send somebody to the well for you. And isn't it just like Jesus to meet us at the place where we all have a need? Isn't it just like the Lord to meet us at the, not what we have necessarily that divides us, but God wants to meet us through His Son Jesus in what we have common. God wants to meet us in our common place that all of us have a need of. God wants to meet us there and show us His path to life and show us what He can do in you and me. And so the Bible tells us that Jesus meets at the place of everyone's need. He comes to the well that unites us, not the well that divides us. Today we have all kinds of dividers. We have everything that I've listed here in the service already this morning plus more. 
And if there's ever been division in America, if there's ever been division in the church, it's now in 2021. There's so much division that exists within America and exists within the church. And even last year, it's gotten a little bit better because uh, election year ended last year and we've went on with our lives. But still, it's still under the surface and it's still rumbling. And and in this world of division, Jesus wants to remind us that He wants to connect us with one another, not divide us from one another. He wants to connect us together and He wants to meet us there in the place of our need. Where? At the well. Not a physical well, but a spiritual well. And so it's here that He waits because sooner or later He knows that we're going to come for water. He knew sooner or later that this woman and Samaritan woman was going to come for water. What was important about the water? I told you about the well. Now I'll tell you about the water. Wells were also a place of betrothal for the guys and the women. I looked this up and I found some historical data that oftentimes the guys would meet their future wives around the well because they could escape their mothers and fathers of the women. Whenever the little girls would come to the well, they didn't have to deal with their mama and daddy. And so they'd meet them there at the well, Brother John, and they'd flirt with them and they'd establish a system of courtship. And so wells became places of betrothal as well. And so when Jesus was sitting on this well and he, she comes coming to him and, and uh, he says, give me a drink of water, she looks and sees that he doesn't have a water pot. And so in her mind, after being married five times, she no doubt thinks this is just another man trying to flirt flirt with me here at this well. Come on, somebody. This is just another man, just like the other five, that have met me here at this well, possibly, that is trying to flirt with me. He doesn't have a water pot, so what is he here for? But the Bible tells us that we all have the physical need of what? Thirst. You know the first thing we see in Scripture? Water. Genesis chapter 1, verse 3 says that the Spirit of God hovered over the water of the deep. The waters of the deep. Before anything existed in this earth existed water. The very first thing that we see in Scripture is water. Science tells us that our body is at least 70% water. Our blood is at least 90% water. If we don't have water, we dehydrate and die. And so we thirst for the very thing that we are. We have to have more water because we are water and won't survive without it. We thirst for the very thing that we are. And so the Bible here talks first of Jesus' thirst. We never mention here. Jesus mentioned his thirst again until he's on the cross being crucified and he says, bring me something to drink, I thirst. Which calls into the question, if Jesus only thirsted a couple of times, what does Jesus truly thirst for? What does God thirst for? What is his heart thirsty for? Well, at the end of this sermon, he's going to tell us what his heart is thirsty for. She gets suspicious thinking he's flirting with her. And then he goes on to tell her, if you drink my water, you'll never thirst again. And you know what she says? 
She says, give me this water because she thinks he's talking about a physical water. She thinks he's talking about a a source that she has not visited before that will satisfy her water needs because if she can get a water that will cause her to never thirst again, she'll have to stop coming to this well and drawing water out every day in, day out. Not only was she drawing well, but the Bible tells us she would go at the sixth hour at noontime. Most women did not go at noon. They went early in the morning morning or late in the evening when it was cooler, but she went at noon. Why? To avoid the scowls and the stares of other women. Because they knew, Sister Bobby, that she had had five men in the town to be their husbands, possibly some of their own. Who knows? And so she would go when nobody else was at the well to avoid the scowls, the stares, the gossip, the backbiting, the marginalization. She was tired of all of it. And so when Jesus said, I've got drink of water that will leave you never thirsting again, she says, give me this water because I'm tired. Somebody say, I'm tired. Have you ever felt tired? Tired of working, tired of praying, tired of worshiping, tired of going through life, tired of taking care of your kids, tired of filling up your car with gas and it's (laughs) $3.09. Y'all didn't shout right there. I figured y'all would have said something. Tired of life itself. This woman says, I'm tired. I'm tired of going to this well. I'm tired of dealing with these women. I'm tired of dealing with the scandal. I'm tired of being marginalized. I'm tired of the guilt and the shame. I'm tired of the struggle. I'm tired of the cycle. I'm tired of coming and put a band-aid on a wound that needs healing. And this morning, I wanted to come and preach to my brothers and sisters in the room that may be tired today. You may be tired of different things things going on in your life and it's in our place of weariness that Jesus wants to meet us there hallelujah and he wants to restore our soul and he wants to give us true living water in the place of our weariness she was tired she said I'm tired of this well that only pacifies I need a well that will satisfy I don't know about you but I'm tired of wells that pacify I need a well that satisfies. Here's here's the trouble of our society, brothers and sisters. The trouble of our society today is that we run to all of these things seeking pacification, and we get it. The, 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 The issue with the drug addict and the alcoholic is they think that what they're using is going to satisfy them, but what it ends up doing is only pacifying them. The issue with people that go from relationship to relationship to failed relationship is they think that relationships will satisfy, but relationships only pacify and Jesus is the only thing that will truly satisfy us and until we get Jesus from this well we'll never be satisfied we'll only be pacified religion won't satisfy you it'll just pacify you tradition won't satisfy you it'll just pacify you good preaching won't satisfy you it'll just pacify you Jesus is the only satisfier in this life and he wants to satisfy your thirst today. Hallelujah. Give him a hand clap of praise if you're thankful this morning for him. I need a well that satisfies, not pacifies. Because if I only get pacified, I'm going to keep seeking and searching. And I'm going to keep doing damage to myself and my family. I've got to have a well that satisfies, this lady says. And here in this story, two kind of waters exist. Here at this well, there's a natural well, 
There's a natural water. And then there's a spiritual well and a spiritual water. And here she stands in front of both. She stands in front of Jacob's well. And then there's Jesus, who's also Jacob's well. (laughs) She stands in front of water that's down in the well. And then there's water that is in Jesus. And now when Jesus tells her these things and she begins to kind of wonder what He's talking about, she begins to give some excuses. Somebody say excuses. Y'all remember the old song? I think we need to bring it back, Sister Laverne. Excuses, excuses, I hear them every day. The devil will supply them if from church you stay away. Boy, there's a lot of people with a lot of excuses in 2021. And they're staying away from church. And the devil's giving a bunch of them. She begins with the excuses. She begins to say, I don't know about you. I don't know who you are. I don't know your background. I don't know your doctrine. I don't know your theology. You know, what I've undercovered and discovered in in just a brief short time of life, as I said the other day, I'll be 29 on Tuesday in almost 29 years. I've observed something. I've observed that the same people that have all kinds of problems also have all kinds of excuses. The same people that have the problems are the same people that have excuses. And whenever they begin to say, oh, pray about this or pray about that or, or, or do this or do that or help me with this or help me with that, and you begin to try to do so, whether you're a pastor, whether you're a family member, whether you're a friend, whether you're a neighbor, and you begin to try to help them through their problem, then come up the excuses. Why? Because our problems tend to try to keep us bolted down where they are. The devil doesn't want us to get free of those things that give us problems. And so our flesh just gives up all of these excuses. And so this woman begins to tell Jesus, I don't know about you. Where are you from? What kind of theology do you have? Where did you grow up at? What college did you go to? Here comes all of the excuses. And she begins to miss the point of what Jesus is trying to give her. He's trying to give her eternal water that will satisfy her and leave her life completely changed, never thirsting again for anything spiritual but being fulfilled and being satisfied, but her flesh begins to offer up excuses. It's the same thing we do to the Lord today. Whenever He tries to grant our prayers or He tries to give us miracles or He tries to give us answers to our problems, we begin to say, well, God, why didn't you do it like this? Or God, I asked you three months ago or this excuse or that excuse. But the fact of the matter is that here is this well of living water sitting on a well of natural water, but her eyes cannot perceive it. This morning, I'm praying that somebody's spiritual eyes are open in this room today and or either on live stream or by podcast and we believe believe and understand that Jesus is trying to show us He is the answer to any and every problem we face. And if we'll drink from Him, it'll solve and cleanse and fill every need that we have. Hallelujah. There was the well, there was the water, and then there was the Word. She begins to question Jesus, so Jesus questions her. He says, He says, where is your husband? And she begins to crawfish. Y'all know what that means? She begins to back up. First comes all the excuses. Now she begins to back up. Where is your husband? And she begins to back up from this conversation. She begins to say, well, you know. (laughs) Have you ever been there? (laughs) 
Anybody ever done that to you? You know something's going on in their life, and so you ask them, well, what about this? And they begin to ho-hum around. They begin to say, well, you know, or begin to stutter. So this is what this woman did. She said, well, you know, I just, I just, I, I don't know. I, I just don't. She doesn't know how to respond. And so Jesus meets her in her response, and he, she says, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. In fact, he says, truth, woman. Somebody say truth. He says, truth, woman, you don't have one husband, you have five. And the one that you're with now, you're not even married to. What did Jesus just do for this woman? He gave her not only a path to the water, but he gave her it through the word. The Bible says that he says to this woman, truth, woman. The Bible tells us that it is the truth that does what to us? Sets us free. You shall know the Son, and the truth shall make you free. The Bible also tells us that whose word is truth? God's word is truth. And so whenever Jesus begins to speak truth to this woman's life that she had continued to living in, He gives this woman the word about herself. This is classified information about what this woman is going through in her life. You see, what I've understood about the Bible is that the Bible in its pages does not only reveal God but it reveals me. Hallelujah. It doesn't only reveal the God of heaven, but Sister Connie, it reveals my need for Him and my depravity and my shame and my sinfulness and my wickedness. And so when I read the Bible, I'm not just reading it to find more about God. I read it to find out more about me because the true word shows us God, but it also shows us ourselves in light of who He is. And so she says to this truth woman, Jesus gives her word that she doesn't only have one and the one she's with isn't her husband. He tells her that she's had five. And it does so much to this woman that it impacts her to go back into the town. You see, what we need, my family, my brothers and sisters, what we need is not another program in the church. What we need is not better music, not better preaching, not better teaching. All those things are good for sure. Yeah, they glorify the Lord when we grow in excellence for sure. But what we need as the people of God is more of the Word in us. We need more of God's Word in us because it helps us to see ourselves. It helps us to see God, but it also helps us to see me. I don't believe in prophets who can see everybody else's sin but their own. I don't believe in Christians who can see everybody else's sin but their own. Because when you're in the Word, the Word will show you your own sin. It'll show you the log that's in your eye, not the plank in somebody else's eye. So we need a word. Somebody say, we need a word. We need a word. And she goes into this city not saying, come see a whale. Not saying, come see some water. But she goes into this city saying, come see a man who told me something. He gave me a word about my life. He gave me a word about the situation that I was going through. So don't come see a whale. Don't come see some water. But come see a man who told me all that I had ever done. And she goes to every house, Sister Laverne, and they all come back to the feet of Jesus here at this well where Jesus is able to teach them. And no doubt many of them become followers of Jesus, why? Because of the Word. You can't have worship and not have the Word. I grew up in a Pentecostal church, just like y'all, most of you. And our Pentecostal church was wonderful. I have fond memories growing up in our Pentecostal church. 
and I'm not discounting the move of the Spirit at all, but there would be months sometimes where the preacher would not even have the opportunity to preach the Word because the church would just become enraptured in worship. And at that moment in time, I thought, wow, what, what power of the Spirit we have. But you know what? Worship not founded in the Word is soluble. That means it'll dissolve. And what the Pentecostal church has erred in in times past is that we have so sought the emotion. And I love the emotion, brothers and sisters. We've so sought the shout, and I love that, that we've missed the Word. We've not built upon the foundation of the Word. There's no other foundation. And so you cannot have true worship if you do not have true Word. What good is worship without the Word? The Word convicts. The Word transforms. The Word is the seed of God. The Bible says that He impregnates the human spirit by His Word. In Acts chapter 2.38, whenever Peter stood up and began to preach on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that they were pricked, penetrated, in their heart by the word that Peter spoke. Somebody say the word. So it's not only the word that falls on you, on your life, but moreover, it's the word that falls in you. The Bible tells us of four different types of soil in in the parable of the sower. It tells us the same seed went out on all four types of soil. There was four types of soil. There was a soil that was hard and stony, representing a hard heart. There was a soil that was was full of thorns and thistles, briars. It it represents life of worldliness. There There was a seed that fell on soil that was really populated with birds, representing demonic spirits, and the bird came down and scooped up the seed that that fell on the soil, but then there was a soil that was receptive. It didn't have hardness or thorniness or stoniness in it. It received the word and it let it go down in it and out of in that place of soil, there came forth fruit. So my friends and my brothers and my sisters, never approach the word and just let it get on you. Approach the word and let it get in you. Hallelujah. Let it give birth to something in your spirit. Let it give birth to something in your soul. Let God illuminate your path for you. His word is a lamp to our feet and it's a life to our path. His word gives us illumination. And in this world of darkness, we've got to have a light. What is the light? The light is the word. The word is so powerful. I've I've heard people say, you know, we don't need much preaching. We just need a good bit of singing. You need to go back and read the word. I love singing. I love to sing. I love to worship in song. But I didn't come to hear a bunch of singing. I ain't going to church to hear a bunch of singing. I'm going to church to hear the Word. Because it's the Word that brings transformation. It's the Word that brings change. It's the Word that helps us see ourselves. This association of water and the Word continue all the way throughout Scripture. In John chapter 15 and 3, Jesus says, You are clean by the washing of the Word. In 1 John chapter 5 verse 8, it says, There are three in the earth that agree, the Spirit, water, and the blood. The entrance of thy Word giveth life, Job said. And so he went on to say, I'd rather have the Word 
word rather than my necessary food. As I said a while ago, David said, it's a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. John said, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The soldier said, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus spoke the word. Lazarus come forth and Lazarus got up from the dead. And I want to tell you today, church of God in Winona, the word, God's word, not a man's word, God's word will never return void and it will always accomplish that that it was sent forth to do. Build your life on the word. Build your life on the word. The word increased in Acts and the disciples multiplied. And so what I declare over this church for the remaining history and future of this church until Jesus returns is an increase of the Word. I declare in Jesus' mighty name that the Word be preached in season and out of season, in good times and bad times and hard times and sad times, that the Word be preached, that the Word be preached whether the church folks like it or whether the church folks don't, that the Word be preached whether the song service is good or whether the song service ain't, that the Word be preached if there are two or the Word be preached if there's 200. In Jesus' mighty name, let the word of God be preached in Winona Church of God and let the word bring transformation. Let the word bring conviction. Let the word bring healing. Let the word bring salvation. Let the word bring deliverance. I wish I had some saints that understood what I was talking about in the house this morning. Let the word do its job. Hallelujah. Let the word. Let the word go forth without hindrance. Deliver us, Lord, of a wordless church in America. Deliver us of a church that spends an hour in worship and 15 minutes in the word. And we wonder why we are where we are. Deliver us from such a church, Lord. Give us the word. The word that resurrects our dead souls. Restore your word to your church, Jesus. So there was the well, there was the water, there was the word, and then lastly, there was the worship. Somebody say worship. Worship's important. I don't want to downplay it. It's important, but only built upon the word. Worship is a part, a very valuable part of our lives and a very valuable part of this story. In fact, this argument that she is having with Jesus is based completely around worship. She says to him, well, I know that, that your fathers don't worship the way that we do and, and I know that we don't worship the way that y'all do. And Jesus says, look, lady, this is what the Lord is really looking after. He's not looking for people that worship like their mom and daddy. He's not work, looking for people that worship like a particular denomination nation. He's looking for people that worship Him in spirit and in truth. This was the argument of this whole passage of Scripture in John chapter 4, 23-24. And it's an argument we are having still today in the church. Worship wars. Do you sing from the hymnal? Or do you sing new songs like Graves in the Gardens? Get mad if we don't sing from this. Too little or too much. And then do sing off the wall too much. Y'all ain't saying that much. You know I'm telling you the truth. We're still having arguments over worship today. We're still placing dividers over worship today. And so it begs the question, what really is the root of the issue? The mechanics of worship here is not just the issue. The issue is ignorance. Now we think ignorance is a terrible word, but ignorance isn't a bad word. 
the definition of ignorance just means lack of knowledge. And so I'm ignorant to how they put this remembrance table together. doesn't mean that I'm dumb. just means that I'm ignorant about that. I'm ignorant about exactly where they got this pulpit from. Again, doesn't mean I lack uh, knowledge in general, just about this. The issue in this woman's life was not that she was a bad lady. It was not even her marriages. It was that just, just that she was ignorant about worship. The issue in the church today is not that we're bad people trying to do bad things. The issue is that we're ignorant. We lack knowledge. What is the knowledge that we need? Well, the knowledge that we need is what I just preached on, more of the Word that will lead us into greater levels of worship. Ignorance can sing. Ignorance can dance. Ignorance can shout. Ignorance can clap. But just because you do all those things does not make you a true worshiper. I've seen a drug addict come in church before and sing, clap, dance, and shout, and go back out and snort, snort more cocaine. Didn't make him saved. Ignorance can do that. That's not true worship. True worship is birthed from the well. Somebody say the well. The well of living water on the inside. And so Jesus says to her, the hour comes and now is that they who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. In spirit because God is spirit. See, we can praise Him, but worship is going to a new level. It's going to a deeper level. It's going in. It's going up. We're not only music. We're not only sound. We're, no harps are being played. No instruments are necessary, but Spirit communes with the living Spirit who is eternal. Our human spirits begin to talk with God the Father who is Spirit. Worship is an exclusive group because worshipers not only worship from a place of truth, but they worship from a place of Spirit. Jesus said, Sister Rothy, that the hour is coming, and now, somebody say now is, now is, that they who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Sister Lace, will you go back to the sound board and get ready to mash play on that computer? Will you stand on your feet with me? One on the church of God, the hour is coming, and now is, that they who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. Worship is not a Sunday game. Worship is not a practice that we do. Worship is not a choir. Worship's not a song singer. Worship's not a particular favorite band. Worship comes from the whale. What whale? The whale that Jesus births on the inside of us. What was the whale that Jesus gave to this woman? New life given in Him, flowing up out of you, Jesus said, into rivers of living water. And my brothers and my sisters, if we truly want to worship, we've got to do what they did in the Old Testament, and we've got to grab us a spiritual shovel, and we've got to get all the dirt and the muck that the Philistines have put in and on Jacob's well and make them clean and make them pure again. What is going on in the world right now in America is a purification process of the church. God is 
is purifying his church. He's seeing who's really worshiping in spirit and in truth versus who is not. He's seeing who's going to be faithful. He's seeing who's going to be perseverant. He's seeing who's going to dig all the dirt of this earth and the world out of their wells and begin to open up and worship from the uttermost parts of who they are. Worship from the well. The hour is coming and now is. We live in a society where all sorts of things are going on. But the thing the Lord most wants from us is what? If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you stream podcasts. To experience other sermons, watch us live, donate, and more, visit us on facebook.com forward slash CoG. Thank you for listening to the Winona Church of God podcast.